0: Welcome to Speaking Destroy, episode 114. Speaking Destroy is the first podcast to feature interviews about Metallica, and I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is Alexander Jones of the band Undeath. I'm going to read to you a little bit about what Pitchfork had to say about Undeath. Yes, a death metal band getting a bunch of praise recently from Pitchfork. Undeath are bringing ghoulish fun back to death metal, reads the headline. The band talks about smoking weed, wearing Crocs, and why they want their shows to be more like communal celebrations instead of solemn rituals. On their sophomore album, It's Time to Rise from the Grave, the band sings about zombies, guts, and gore with punishing riffs that match that urgency. It is this simple, joyful spirit that has helped this old-school death metal band stand out from countless revival acts. Their self-professed internet music nerds and their songs pinpoint a chaotic middle ground between pure mayhem and technical composition. Throughout It's Time to Rise from the Grave, you will hear traces of death metal cornerstones like Cannibal Corpse, Morbid Angel, and Autopsy. But ultimately, they aim for music that is more inviting. Alexander Jones is the band's frontman, and he is, of course, a Metallica fan. We talk about his journey to punk and hardcore and death metal and how he found his way from there to Metallica. Remember, you can follow Speak and Destroy on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can follow me on Instagram at Ryan J. Downey underscore, and on Twitter at Ryan Downey. Speaking Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. Please, the best way you can support the show is to leave a five-star rating and write a nice little review in Apple Podcasts. Give us a great review on any of your preferred podcast platforms of choice. You can also support Speak and Destroy on Patreon. And the Speak and Destroy theme is by the great Scott Mellinger of the band Zeo. You're going to hear that theme here in just a few moments. So here it is, my conversation with Alexander Jones of Undeath. This is Speak and Destroy. <laughs>
1: The first music I ever got into that was like my own music, it wasn't just music that my parents introduced me to, it was probably Green Day. Mm. Um, yeah, was, I was massively into Green Day. You know, I, I discovered them the way that I think a lot of people did, where I saw Dookie for sale at, it was the early 2000s, so it was probably like Barnes Noble or Borders or something like that. Mm-hmm. um and I was I was transfixed by it you know it's it's an album that is named after poop um the the album cover is a giant mushroom cloud like
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh everything about it just completely enraptured my uh, 10 11 year old sensibilities uh so i was I was hooked instantly and and I loved them I just couldn't get enough of them I worked backwards and forwards through their whole discography I think their most recent album at that point was American Idiot so I, I, was, I was a Green Bay super fan for, for many, many years, and then I didn't really think that I could do a band myself until, uh, it's going to sound kind of corny, but until the movie School of Rock. <laughs> that's, no, that's awesome. <laughs> that's because awesome. I, that was, uh, I mean, growing up, like my parents weren't like super strict about like, the kind of media that we consumed in the house or anything like that, but they were pretty strict about like R-rated movies and PG-13 movies and, and things of that nature, and School of Rock, I believe, was the first PG thirteen movie that they ever let me like go see in theaters, um, because it was for like a friend's birthday party or something like that. And I was already like getting into music a little bit. You know, I, I was obsessed with Green Day at that point. I loved like the Ramones. I loved uh, like all the classic punk stuff. And um, that movie just kind of like really inspired me to to start my own or try to start a band and to get involved in music in a in a meaningful way. So I'd say that was definitely the uh, the turning point
0: so where did you go from there what did you start dipping into
1: um from there let's see so I probably saw that when I was like 11 12 something like that and from there it was it was a lot of punk and a lot of hardcore for a long time I mean that was really my whole my whole world in in terms of how I approach music and and how I like view how bands should operate was kind of shaped by punk bands and hardcore bands you know i I think Mm. the the first bands that i really loved were uh from that world were like black flag minor threat um all like the ssd bands all the uh all the discord bands you know fugazi was a was a huge band for me for a long time you know i just love the way that they still are like i I still love fugazi but just really admire the way they carry themselves and uh, like the five dollar shows and their their veganism and stuff like that even if it wasn't you know how i carried myself uh, like I've never been a devout vegan or anything like that, but I just uh, admired their discipline, I guess. And uh, from there, it was, it, was, it was just a lot of punk, a lot of hardcore for, for a very, very long time. Metal didn't come until much later.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, it's, I, I love the way that those journeys will take different twists and turns with people. I mean, for me, I was into new wave and 80s pop and, and punk music first and then got into metal. And then right. from metal sort of you know found my way back around a hardcore and then it's like you sort of eventually become a, an adult that hopefully can enjoy all of it those, those yeah in your formative years totally and you know and you guys obviously got into some pretty extreme death metal um you know to to make the leap from like you said the discord bands the sst stuff you know, reading up on the band and seeing that some of the influences are, you know, everything from Sadist to Death, Cynic. Uh, I know you, you personally mentioned Pig Destroyer in one interview that I saw one of their records being oh, uh, yeah. crucial for you. So, yeah, when did when did it get heavier?
1: Um, it wasn't until a little bit later. So uh, I, I kind of had like a weird trajectory in terms of how I got into bands. You know, I, I, I wasn't one of those people that, you know, discovered metal or listened to an Iron Maiden song or or it was a very roundabout process. But I think like the first like extreme quote unquote bands that I really were into were like Opeth was a huge one for me Mm. Um, just because they had that nice balance between the melodicism and the screaming and they were, you know, I could listen to them and I could feel like I I was smart, you know, (laughs) like uh, it didn't, it didn't seem, it seemed like an academic pursuit sometimes to listen to (laughs) them like Opeth. Yeah, (laughs) yeah it made me like proud that I was a fan of that band. So they, they were definitely like very influential. It was them between the Barry to me was a big one. It was a lot of like the, the more progressive or like proggy or metal bands were the first metal bands that I really got into. And then uh, it didn't really start getting like more straight. I didn't really start getting into more straightforward death metal until Cryptopsy. I think that was the first big one because somebody at some point had recommended me none so vile. And at that point I was pretty fully warmed up to the idea of a band having like screamed vocals all the way through. Um, and they were like, okay, well, you're going to love none. So vile, you know, it's this crazy death metal record. Uh, like the riffs are insane. The vocal performance is just like fucking out of this world. Like this guy's out of his mind. And I was like, all right, I checked it out. and I, It's truly like one of those experiences that I haven't really had a lot of in my life where I just fell in love with that album instantly. Uh like none so vile' just like completely enraptured me from from the first time I ever listened to it, and from then it was like i I couldn't consume enough death metal like if I tried you know I, I just I wanted to hear anything and everything that sounded even remotely like that so you know uh gorgo's obscura was was next on the list I mean, I was obsessed with that album, uh you know working back in this in the kurtopsy discography like uh blasphemies made flesh was a huge record for a while uh you know Morbid Angel got really into albums like Domination and Covenant Cannibal and then from then on it's just like it's just death metal nonstop
0: so where does the the thrash stuff and and obviously Metallica fit into that whole puzzle
1: so that was that was even weirder um so i like Metallica was a band that i was like vaguely aware of but i think in in the my like prime Metallica listening years like i feel like when I would have developed into like the most devout Metallica super fan. I was such a fucking like elitist Fugazi guy mm. that uh it just it never clicked for me. Like Metallica was like like this big rock band, and I, I just wasn't interested in that. You know, I was interested yeah. in like VFW Hall shows and basement shows and uh bands with like very strong political affiliations and stuff like that. So the idea of just like cutting loose and listening to a band like Metallica just was not something I was considering at the moment um and it it wasn't like I disliked them it was just it, it wasn't where my head was at it wasn't where my heart was at at that time but uh I started giving them an honest chance when I was about probably 16 maybe 17 um because there was a hardcore band that I really loved called Trapped Under Ice yeah and you can probably see where this is going Uh, (laughs) yeah
0: sure and and and, and now there's a deathcore band called creeping death I love it yes
1: yes and uh, I thought the name was so cool I thought it was so evocative and I remember we I was in a car with some friends and we were driving to go see them and it was either Buffalo or Syracuse I think it was Buffalo and I mentioned that I was like yo I just love this band's name like what does that even mean like how did they come up with that and then My friend kind of looked at me askance and he was like, wait, you really don't know? Like, that's, that's a Metallica song. Like, have you never heard that song before? I was like, no, like, what? Like, Metallica, like the Enter Sandman band? Like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And he was like, dude, you have to hear this. And he uh, had like the CD of Ride the Lightning in the car and he just threw it on. And I was like, this is Metallica. (laughs) Like, this is awesome. Uh, so I was just I, I, I was like flummoxed by the fact that I've been sleeping on this band for so long. And uh, yeah, I, I think I've just been an avid Metallica listener ever since. That's amazing.
0: And by the way, you know, we all have those elitist phases. Of course, I think that they're important. It's just as long as we come out of them eventually. <laughs> oh, totally. that's the key. And the fact that you were already coming out of yours by like 17 is, is a great sign. Because, <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, for a lot of people they never come out of it or or not until like way later in life
1: sure yeah I I get the sense sometimes that I've been spending my entire 20s kind of like making up for lost time uh, because I feel like there were all these bands that I dismissed when I was first really getting into like underground music or extreme music or whatever you want to call it that I just I never gave them a chance because I thought they were lame or I thought they were corny or they just weren't cool Mm -hmm. and now like I feel like the past four five six years of my life I've just been discovering all these bands and I'm like yo did you guys know that like Slayer is dope and people are like yeah of (laughs) course (laughs)
0: yeah well it's cool though the kind of reverse engineering because we're you know I'm a bit older than you so Metallica Megadeth, Slayer you know those bands were still very underground as I was discovering them but I had a similar trajectory in the sense that you know in my teenage years I didn't take anything seriously that had to do with like scorpions or deep purple or zeppelin or even sabbath to an extent you know i i remember i respected sabbath but it was just like yeah like all that stuff just seemed like a different world than the stuff that i was really into and there were certainly bands that i thought of you know because at that point you know whether it was like van halen or scorpions like those bands just seemed like big huge rock stars like you were saying metallica right. probably seemed and and i was going to see you know, bands like Sacred Reich and Atrophy and you know uh Overkill and stuff like that as they were coming to my town and playing like, you know, these smaller theaters and and sometimes like you know VFW hall type places. And then, you know, of course, getting into hardcore after that was even more of that accessible, tangible, visceral, like this is a whole community that I'm participating in, and that's very independent of whatever like the monoculture
1: is it's funny just how like uh just how much of a flat circle it is in that way because it's like i got into metallica because a band that i thought was cool uh you know was referencing them in their name and that in turn made them cool to me so then i gave them a chance and i was like oh it turns out this band is great and then metallica you know famously has covered the misfits a lot and yep. that and before that you know the misfits to me were like the goofiest band in the world i was like who is this guy like glenn danzig like he sounds like elvis like this sucks <laughs> yeah. and uh, and then you know metallica's like no the misfits are cool and i was like all right well i think metallica's cool i'll give the misfits a shot and i was like well it turns out this band's pretty good too
0: yeah there's a, it comes up on this podcast pretty often too like how much paying it forward they've done by really championing all those bands who were key to their formation and then even bands that they have liked as they've gone along, you know, a lot of elder statesmen will, will sort of stop at their influences, but the guys in Metallica are constantly aware of things that are happening, you know, contemporaneously and, and yeah. saluting a lot of those bands as well, whether it's taking them on tour, wearing a t-shirt or whatever. And and yeah, same as you, I, you know, Misfits, Sam Samhain, Danzig, some of my favorite stuff in my life, and i was introduced to that by metallica primarily by them wearing the shirts uh right you, you know before i got a hold of garage days just seeing them in magazines i was very first first discovering them they were they another, were constantly wearing all
1: those shirts yeah and like another band that they covered that I, i've always been so impressed by was uh anti-nowhere league because i i was really into that band and i was really into all like the I don't know if they're technically a UK 82 band, but I was really into like that whole spectrum of like English rock oi bands for a while. Sure. And, uh, and the, the fact that well, like when I learned that Metallica covered them, I was like, oh shit, like that is very impressive to me. <laughs> so, and,
0: and also I love that. The, I love that the trajectory of that song, that it was a, a kind of throwaway jokey B side
1: in the first place. And then that became like, you know, it's, you know, really marvelous.
0: signature song. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. It's also funny. to think like, uh, it's not metal, but a lot of the music that, like, my parents listened to growing up it is, I feel, like, objectively so cool. But uh, now, but, like, at the time when I was living with my parents, I thought it was so lame that they listened to bands like Elvis Costello. And, uh, like, my dad is, like, a huge B-52s fan, uh, you know, like, Pink Floyd, The Clash. Like I, like, I discovered so many bands through him, but it took me so many years to realize that, like, it's very impressive that I grew up in a household where, like, my dad yeah. was playing can and like, uh, like craftwork records all the time. That's and, incredible. Yeah, yeah. Like he, he. I mean, my mom, my mom has a great taste in music too. But like my, my dad uh, specifically has like this very bizarre, like eclectic taste and like weird German bands and stuff like that that he enjoys. So, but, like, growing up for the longest time, like that whole world of music was just like the weird shit that my dad enjoys, and uh, I didn't really think. Anything about a band like Kraftwerk, you know, I was just like, oh, that's my dad's band. And then, yeah, uh, right, yeah. And then, like, I started like wow. meeting people in college, like later on, and, you know, every, p- other people that were like interested in music and music history and stuff like that. And, like, those kids seemed to think that Kraftwerk was really cool. Yeah, <laughs>
0: I was, yeah, like, was going to say college is usually when people get uh <laughs> yeah. all the way,
1: like, you know. Uh, and I was like, oh, into like that turns, stuff. Out my, turns out my dad has great dates. <laughs> like, that's surprising.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, it certainly wasn't anything as uh, relatively obscure as like, you know, can or, or you know, psychic television or anything like that, you know, but my mom was, I grew up in Indiana. And my mom was really into country music, which wasn't unusual, but I had a similar thing where I was very dismissively like, oh, my mom likes country and country is lame, you right. know, and I thought the first concert she ever took me to was uh, Kenny Rogers and the Oak Ridge boys at the Indiana state fair when I was like four years old. And it was like, ah, it's, it's neat being at a concert, but uh, this isn't for me. And then a, a similar thing where later as an adult, you know, around the time that Rick Rubin was like reinventing Johnny cash, I was like Johnny cash. Like my mom was with <laughs> Johnny cash all the time. You know, I'm like, wait, this is cool now. And then, but then you kind of go back and you're like, wait, a bunch of the stuff that my mom played around the house was really incredible. I just wasn't, uh, in a place to be like open to it yet. Cause it's like, that's my mom's, you know, lame country music. And, and I, right. you know, and, and it, yeah, it's just funny to see like Linda Ronstadt or, or Dolly Parton who's like a saint in pop culture right now, you know, like these, these were right. all the like people that my mom really loved and that I heard around the house all the time. So yeah, later as an adult, you know, I had an opportunity to get kind of a backstage, uh, so to speak, Behind the scenes, peek behind the curtain at the Country Music Hall of Fame in Nashville, and yeah, it was just interesting because I was walking around in there with some people who who had kind of found country later, were getting immersed in country, and and I'm like, man, I got this stuff's like in my DNA from very very young. So yeah, I think we're I think we're very blessed to have had that, even though we didn't recognize how cool it was at the time.
1: Totally. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like being vocally into Dolly Parton that's just about like the coolest thing you can do at this you know juncture in time. So that's gotta feel pretty crazy. <laughs> totally,
0: totally. Back then I was just like, oh it's, it wasn't even so much a lot of that it wasn't even so much that I thought it was lame. It was just that I didn't think it had anything to do with me.
1: You know? Yeah, definitely. It just... Yeah it, it's it's funny to think in that sense too like uh you know I was watching the Grammys last night with my girlfriend and they had a a a trailer for a Danny Boyle directed Sex Pistols documentary <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah which uh, and, uh, which Johnny Rotten is appropriately
1: angry about <laughs> yeah of course well yeah I, I mean you would want him wasn't. to be
0: it would be disappointing if he was
1: behind it yeah exactly but it, that got me like just kind of feeling kind of a little nostalgic because and just like laughing at myself a little bit because when I was 11 years old the Sex Pistols were like my dad's band and to me like punk rock like everything that it's like hilarious to say but like everything that encapsulated what punk rock was all about was green day <laughs> and like the idea of the sex Pistols being this like you know genre defining uh historic band was was laughable to me i was just like this band is goofy yeah. like their name is the sex pistols and that's dumb yeah. they had one out al- uh, they had one album what the heck right yeah and, and now like- i'm like yeah, and like now I'm watching this trailer for this docu series, and I'm like, oh, the Sex Pistols! Like, I can't wait to see that. And I'm like, oh, I'm just I'm becoming my father.
0: Yeah, and then you also <laughs> look at the the historical thing, and you're like, wait, like swearing on television was like a, a cultural like milestone, <laughs> like yeah. you know, like panic in the streets moment. You know, like like so many things that like a group like the Sex Pistols were doing that was dangerous once upon a time that seems passé to us now you know when you put it in the context you're like yeah somebody walking around with a safety pin like pushed through their nose (laughs) that was insane to somebody on in the streets and like western
1: civilization Um, I mean that guy he probably there's so many people living in England at the time if just like the words Johnny like oh yeah there's a man and his name is Johnny Rotten like that would probably give somebody a heart attack
0: yeah or even or sid vicious yeah like exactly <laughs> like those were that was probably terrifying you know and, and a lot of the stuff that seems dated to us now like when you you know you you hear Belson was a gas or you see pictures of of sid and like swastika shirts or Sue, or Susie Stewart, right. you're like dude they weren't you think those people had ideologies like no this was they were the joker in the dark knight when he's like you know I'm, do I look like a guy with a plan? Like I'm a dog <laughs> chasing a car? You know, I wouldn't know what to do if I
1: caught one. It's also important to contextualize the fact that they were literally children when this yeah. was happening. Yeah, totally. Like, like I, I think so frequently of like like the early like I, the Cure is one of my favorite bands, and like we're getting wildly off the metallic spectrum no, of things. No here, way, like
0: the Cure is one of my favorite bands too. So that's I awesome. Yeah, so pre- preach on.
1: I, I, I think about like the best work. Well, arguably, like, the best work that Robert Smith was doing, right? Like, you you think about, like, faith up to disintegration. And in my mind, he's, like, in his early, or he's in, like, his mid to late 20s that entire time. But I think when disintegration comes out, correct me if I'm wrong, he's, like, 29, right?
0: Dude, it's really crazy when you start doing the math. On some of the, I mean, you know, the whole thing with like the 27 club. Right. Right. Like uh, so many of these people that did so much amazing, important things culturally and aesthetically, artistically that were so young. I mean, Cliff was only 24 when he passed away.
1: Yeah. Like that's nuts. It's like completely insane. I think about like what, like what I was doing when I was 24. And it's like everything that Cliff Burton had already accomplished as a musician by the time he was 22. It's like, it, it's just, it's staggering to think about. Absolutely insane.
0: So let's see. So I'm, look, I'm looking at the interwebs right now. Robert Smith was born in 1959. I've, I've never actually thought about the cure thing that you're pointing out. So yeah, so three <laughs> 3 imaginary boys comes out, he's 19 or 20.
1: Yeah, like, <laughs> like what? <laughs> like... <laughs> That's insanity.
0: So that's then, pornography,
1: he's ab- like 24.
0: Absolute insanity. Yeah, 82, 59. What, what's 82 minus
1: 59?
0: Yeah, dude, that's
1: incredible. And it's like, it's just, it, it, people lambast people like that. So, because it's easy to, because it's like, oh, well, like, why would you walk around in, you know, wearing like a swastika t shirt just to like get a reaction? Like, that's obviously so base, but it's like, Synthesis was like, 20 <laughs> like, yeah like and it was and it was a
0: very different time and place and also think about how close they were to i mean to really put that in perspective how, how close they still were to world war ii yeah absolutely. like 77 versus like 1945 i mean you're you're walking around london like looking at you know debris from world war ii you know? yeah like that's an excellent bombed point. Out buildings are still like part of your daily life
1: yeah that, that's that's a really terrific point you know it's like uh these they were kids like they just and and like the same thing with Metallica like yeah when when they were releasing their uh uh like you know most critically acclaimed series of records like they were kids like it's crazy to think about how young they were
0: yeah this has got me thinking so when the Smiths puts out their first album because oh yeah Morrissey's born the same year as Robert Smith so yeah he's 25 24 25. (laughs) I mean, it's just crazy insanity. Like,
1: <laughs> like I think about like I'm pretty sure when they were recording Disintegration, Robert Smith was like 29, and I think it came out when he was 30. And like, yeah. I'm 27, so I'm thinking like I got two years left to write Disintegration. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm fucked,
0: dude. I think about uh, Pulp. Uh, this is Hardcore, which is one of my favorite albums of all time on the record Jarvis Cocker sings about turning 33 and it be you know and it's kind of got this vibe of like I'm so old now and you know (laughs) at at this stage of my life 33 was kind of a long time ago I mean I remember you know starting a band when I was let's see how old was I 24 and I remember a lot of my friends that I had grown up with and we had been in bands together as teenagers and stuff like it was like hilarious to that generation of my friends like dude you're in a band <laughs> like you know because it was like 24 was like you know to be starting a band at 24 was like you know what are you what are you trying to be uh you know is this a midlife crisis you're trying to be out on the high school football
1: I feel that way sometimes when uh like on death goes on tour and like like I know in the grand scheme of things I'm not old right like I, right. I'm, I'm I'm in my late 20s but like yeah I talked to kids that were born in like 2002 and I'm like that, <laughs> right. I'm like that, that's not real like you were you weren't born after 9/11 like that's insane like yeah. you you're lying to me right now but it, sometimes I definitely feel like when we go to shows and stuff I feel my age a little bit especially when uh we we I mean we just played this um this big hardcore festival in in Louisville called LBB mm-hmm. and I feel like I mean, there were some elder statesmen there for sure, but I feel like the crowd, like, really skewed young in a way that I was not mentally and spiritually prepared for. <laughs> like, I was yeah. like looking around at these kids, and I was like, "Oh, I'm old." Like, these kids are unironically wearing Jingo jeans. Like, I'm fucking old. Yeah,
0: it's and it's weird when you start seeing things like you said, the sort of flat circle of of things coming back around. And as we're sitting here talking. I mean certainly Metallica and every one of their all of their contemporaries, right? Like Dave Mustaine was the oldest of those guys and he turned 60 recently. And you're like, yeah. wow, wow, that's crazy. But then you but then you remember that, you know, everyone in Sabbath is like 10, 15 years older than everyone in Metallica.
1: You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean Ozzy is is, you know, allegedly dousing himself in water every night so that the crowd doesn't notice him pissing himself. Like it's 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 crazy how much these people have have aged, but I feel like w- with with metal, unlike any other subgenre of music, like there's so much respect for your elders there, dude. So absolutely,
0: like, and 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 it and it's a style that you can age into. I was having this conversation with one of my good friends just a couple of days ago, and we've talked about it before. You know, it's here's a, here's an interesting comparison. So Robert england who played Freddy Krueger, yeah. you know he started in that role the first Elm Street and then does a whole franchise of movies to where by the time you get to Freddy versus Jason you know you're in like you're like two decades removed from the original but one thing he always said about playing that character was that he always played him as older so even when he was like a younger actor playing Freddy under the makeup and all that stuff and I think about guys like Lemmy or Slash or Halford who created these images when they were very young in terms of like, you know, these images that you could age into <laughs> because sure. for the most part, you can look at any of those people I just mentioned at, at different eras and they like look relatively like, like very similar. Um, yeah, and and it, I think it, metal is just very cool that way. It, it has an edge over even punk where it's not just thought of as like, Oh, this is a youth thing. You, you, got, you got to be a kid to be doing this. Yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, like I, I'm aware that Rob Halford is isn't an, an older gentleman at this point. Like it's not. I'm not laboring under any delusions so that Rob Halford is still like 26 years old. But I I never think about it because when I think about Rob right. Halford, even even when I see like recent videos of Judas Priest playing, I'm just like, that's fucking Rob Halford. Absolutely. Like he's
0: just he 100%. just kicks ass.
1: The mystique and the the gravitas of metal in that way is is so powerful. I think it it provides for some career
0: longevity that other genres don't and there's you know what's interesting is even in hip-hop like there are elder statesmen in hip-hop who are given respect right like every rapper who knows anything about rap respects you know Rakim or or even Grandmaster Flash or you know Scarface the Ghetto Boys like I'm just thinking about all these like great sort of you know classic rappers of different eras who are older now I mean Snoop I think is a grandfather like I think even (laughs) multiple times over but with few exceptions uh none of them have the same commercial or cultural relevance that they had when they were younger or that younger rappers have now and that is an interesting distinction with metal because you know we're still talking about iron maiden and judas priest and ozzy and and uh and metallica and, and megadeth and you know all these bands like they're still relevant and active and packing venues and and still like the bands that are important in the genre. So, and, and, and it's an interesting counterpoint because you often hear the complaint justifiably so that we're not making enough mid tier to bigger tier bands in the metal scene and that we're relying on these older bands to keep holding it down. But the flip side of that is it's very promising for, career longevity for the genre because you look at other genres and the elder statesmen, even when they're respected aren't aren't uh, succeeding at the same level
1: yeah definitely you know i think there's such a, a a wide open lane for for new metal bands right now that i feel like not nearly enough people are capitalizing on because i think that you know if you look specifically in the space of death metal right? Like the, the field shrinks even more. You, you've got Cannibal Corpse, you've got Morbid Angel who, you know, apparently is not touring anytime soon. Um, like I'm trying to think of the other, like staple Hallmark, like uh, all-timer big Ford death metal bands. Like there really aren't that many, at least aren't that many that are active and touring and are still like packing out venues and stuff. So there's, there's such potential for bands right now to reach like really exciting heights and i feel like people maybe aren't grasping that as much as as much as they should be because yeah. like if if i'm i mean it's, it's difficult for me to say because i am in a death metal band but like if i was starting a death metal band right now it, maybe it sounds egotistical but just looking at it from a from a purely like career trajectory standpoint like what I what my ultimate lofty goals and ambitions would be with my band you know my goal is not to go on tour with Cannibal Corpse my tour would my goal would be to become Cannibal Corpse right like right. I want to I want to be that next band that gets to take other younger bands out on tour and uh that's like that's a very exciting prospect for me that that there is such room at the moment for a band to reach the, those kind of levels
0: uh, that's a great point because yeah, that's another uh, subgenre where, for the most part, a lot of the bands that we talk about in conversation when we start talking about death metal, like we're we're still talking about suffocation, we're still talking about morbid, we're still talking about you know death, and yet there are bands like yours that are. I mean, one of the things that I said to your publicist when she asked me if i'd be interested in having you on as i was like you're doing a great job as a publicist because i keep seeing and hearing about that band <laughs> you know like <laughs> and that's uh that's not common in the genre you know it's like i feel like every couple of years you, you know revocation kind of had a moment and you know white chapel before that obviously the death core thing suicide silence and you know those bands yeah, yeah. but uh, but you guys are i i feel like having that moment right now where the name sort of keeps cropping up and that there's there's a respect level that you seem to be getting which is you know you can't
1: buy that you know (laughs) it can't be manufactured sure yeah you know i i think like it just bring it all back to the beginning like it it, it's all like punk rock to me you know like it's even in the most death metal aspects of it like Naming songs very gory and and silly things to like get a reaction out of people and like going on stage and playing this very complex and like physically demanding music. The way that we approach it and the way that that I view, um, just like the the way that we carry ourselves as a band, like it, it it's it all comes from punk, it all comes from hardcore, it all comes from just like mm-hmm. learning how to do it yourself and learning how to do it with respect and integrity and and not like getting involved in kind of the big dick pissing contest that exists in so much of like the world of music um because i feel like so many bands they catch a little bit of a wave or they get some buzz and then all of a sudden they're they're talking to you like they were preordained and, and destined to be in the position that they're in and it's like oh yeah you know my band is is uh selling x number of records and we're getting x tours because uh we're sick And uh, we deserve to be here. And I'm fully cognizant of the fact that, you know, not to take anything away from Undead's success because I am proud of the music that we make and I'm proud of, uh, you know, I I do feel like we deserve the opportunities we've been given. But I also know that so much of the so much of everything that we've accomplished just boils down to luck, boils down to being in the right place at the right time and starting a very specific kind of death metal band in 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 a time frame where people were having kind of a rejuvenated interest in a very specific kind of death metal
0: when you see when you see like somebody like uh josh barnett you know making merch and like the bolt thrower font you're like there's yeah. something you know there's there is something out there that like this stuff is still there's a hunger for it and and uh you know i know you guys get kind of lumped into the old school death metal revival thing and I don't think that that's bad. I remember the when the old school thrash revival was happening, we got so many great bands, many of which are still making great
1: records. So, totally, um, I say bring it on. Yeah, it's like when I when I look at the the bands that we get kind of uh, lumped in with, like when I when I hear a band like Soberbog or Frozen Soul yeah. or uh, yeah, like Two Hundred Stab Wounds or like any of like the the bands that have kind of risen from that maggot stomp scene, you know, I, I I listen to them and. I don't think we sound alike, but I also consider them my peers just because right. we're all in like new young death metal bands and we're all kind of doing something that's that's a little uh contrarian to what was pervasive before.
0: Yeah, I, I don't think Morbid Angel or and sound alike.
1: Exactly. But you also like
0: understand why we, you know, or or carcass or you know, but there's a reason why we associate like certain bands together, whether it's labels or tour packages or generations or exactly you know, shared reference points and all that. Yeah, percent. So, I would, I would argue, of course, you know, just as much as diamond head and motorhead and deep purple and uh, Sabbath and all of this stuff were absolutely essential to the existence of something like Metallica. I would say that Metallica is definitely in the DNA of death metal, even for death metal elitists who may not realize it or may not have gone back and revisited it. Like, sure. you know, it's, it's there. I, I would imagine that lineage became sort of more apparent to you as you started to immerse yourself in the Metallica stuff.
1: Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, I, I think it's, Death Metal is in particular is a really interesting spot because at the very beginning, I, I feel like the main reference points for, for you know, the bands that we would consider to be like the genre forebears and like the starter bands of Death Metal were all very much influenced by by Thrash and by bands like Metallica and, and, uh, and Megadeth and stuff like that. I feel like that that influence is very apparent when you listen to like the early cannibal the early morbid records mm-hmm. um, but now we've kind of found ourselves in this position as the genre has gotten older you can correct me if i'm totally off base here but i feel like now death metal bands are primarily influenced by other death metal bands
0: yeah no absolutely and and, and, that, and that's what inevitably happens with genres right because you think like you know type type o negative was influenced by Sabbath, and by uh you know probably Joy Division or Bauhaus or whatever, and then you have bands that sound
1: like Typo that are just influenced by Typo, <laughs>
0: right? Yeah, yeah and that's it, just sort of the it, way it goes.
1: Yeah, and like our our band, I feel like in particular is has been interesting just to kind of like to just watch us grow over the years and and just viewing it because it's hard sometimes to think about like my own band because I'm I'm biased obviously and I'm I'm in the mix while it's happening, so I don't always get or rarely ever get an objective perspective for how our band like works and our place in the world but um i feel like when we were writing our first record and our first couple demos we were like a death metal band that were that was influenced by death metal bands you know we we listened to so much cannibal so much suffocation like not and besides just the classic stuff you know we listened to like fetid and cerebral rot and like all these uh, newer death metal bands that we were loving at that time too With this record, with it's time to rise from the grave, I feel like we've worked backwards and now we're taking not more but a equitable amount of influence from like thrash bands from new wave of British heavy metal bands like there's just as much Judas Priest and Metallica and uh, and like uh, classic like Ozzy solo uh, influence in this record as there is, you know, just death metal. And I would still say, you know, it's time is 100% through and through a death metal record. But and we're like 100% a death metal band. And like, that's not going to change anytime soon. But, uh, working back through history and, and drawing from more disparate influences uh, has been like tremendously rewarding. It's been a really awesome process.
0: So now comes my toughest question of all. Uh, well said, by the way, this has been a really fun combo. Let's rank the Metallica records. <laughs> where do they where 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 do where do they all stand for you? And you can, and you can take your time because I'm springing
1: it on you. All right, let me uh let me get the list in front of me because I don't know if I'm going to be able to remember all of them off the top. Actually, you know what? Um let me if I if I'm forgetting any just let me know. So we actually did uh, on a tour that on did in November of last year, we we kind of have this like van tradition where Throughout the length of a tour, we'll try to listen to like one or two band discographies, mm. and uh, I,
0: I like this plan.
1: It's just it's a fun way to like kill time in the van, and like gives everybody something to look forward to on like really long, grueling drives. And it's it's just funny because you get like all the highs and you get all the lows, so it's like something everybody can kind of rally around and enjoy. So we did the Metallica discography. So this discography is still relatively fresh in my mind, <laughs> and uh, you know I'll, I'll cop to it when we finished it. Uh, I told everybody in the van that I never wanted to hear James Hetfield's voice ever again. <laughs> because, <laughs> Too much at was, once. Yeah, I was so fucking sick of it. <laughs> like I just couldn't believe how much it had, had grated on me. <laughs> but, but I digress. Okay, so I don't. I don't when, think he'd.
0: Be, I don't think he'd be offended to hear you say that.
1: <laughs> he'd <laughs>
0: probably be like, "Yeah, man, I get
1: it." but and this is coming from somebody who fucking loves metallica but like at the end of that run i was like i don't need to hear this band for another year or two Um, when you when
0: you do so when you do the whole discography i assume especially for bands with that dense of a catalog that you skip live records
1: and yeah yeah so we just studio albums studio albums and then we we skipped around uh, like the garage and stuff a little bit but uh yeah studio albums are the focus Did, did you did you do lulu we got we had ambitions too we got about eight minutes into it.
0: I love ambitions too that's the that's the best answer I've ever heard dude Uh, I have uh, I I mean obviously I am you can't be a bigger Metallica fan than I am I I do a Metallica podcast for, (laughs) for starters before I start laying out my credentials and I have never made it all the way through Lulu and we every year since it's been out at some point, I will inevitably be like, maybe this is the year, and I just, uh, I can't do
1: it. Well, dude, we were hyping ourselves up for it, because we were, when we knew it was coming... And your dad probably uh,
0: liked Lou Reed, right? You probably knew Lou Reed around the house.
1: Oh, yeah. I think mean, uh, both of my parents were underground fans, so, like, yeah. I was... That tracks? Uh, the, the uh, you know possibility of there being a Metallica Lou Reed collaboration record it was definitely something I was at least morbidly curious about but yeah well, you well, know, well, more,
0: more so than most right because you have to be totally I, I think people who were predisposed to enjoy both were fewer and further between than a lot of collaborations so and I think that right. that's a big part of it for me is that uh, for whatever reason for all the different stuff that I like I never had a, a Velvet Underground phase I never really connected with, with Lou Reed's vibe or his voice and yeah. Uh, you know I, all respect to people that do i'm sure there's yeah. something that i'm just missing and maybe someday i'll have this revelatory moment i have i have actually a friend that i'm gonna have on the podcast eventually my buddy jeff who who plays drums in the band zeo but he's a lou reed guy cool. and he and he has a take on on lulu where he's like you know this song is actually really great and some of these some of these parts are cool and so i've, I've we've been saying for a while like okay i'm gonna have you on and you're gonna like make the case for lulu as
1: it were the thing the thing about lulu specifically is like uh i should like it because i tend to be the guy who not even in like an annoying contrarian like pretentious way but like the, a band's like weirdest or most polarizing album just by pure coincidence tends to be the ones that I like the most like, oh, I've,
0: I've I've been accused of doing it on purpose
1: um oh I, I my, mean dude I mean I, gotten... I was
0: the load reload guy through the 90s and I didn't know a single other metal person who <laughs> right <laughs> I mean they have you know they've gotten a lot more love since and certainly people were buying them. I mean, I think Lode sold like seven million copies or something, but it was a very unpopular opinion for a long time. And, and I would I would regularly get confused, accused of being contrarian about it, you know, or uh you know, Star Wars prequels. <laughs> and I don't even <laughs> I don't even go, I don't even go so far as to say that they're like well-made films. But even but saying anything positive about them at all for a long time.
1: Was they have crazy. redeeming qualities, on I, I would say that's that's a, definitely a case you can make. I mean, Metallica is not one of those fans that I like their polarizing stuff the best, like far from it. But yeah, oh, I, mean, no, I, I wouldn't like, say I like it the best, but, yeah, but or yeah. or at least like rank it highly. But like my brother and I have gotten in so many arguments over the years because you know he's like you don't like earth crisis slither is not your favorite earth crisis <laughs> album like uh, stop lying and i'm like no it is like i swear like i love slither. that album <laughs> it's sick dude but,
0: The ple- and, and, and much like load with the haircuts and the and the eyeliner i think hardcore kids had to get past the fake pleather jackets oh um, um, yes <laughs> you know but but yeah so much of that stuff gets tied up in the image but dude carl's singing voice he just
1: sounds like ozzy i thought it was pretty Yeah, awesome. sick and there's like tracks on the album like it's just a fun listen dude when, um, he, when
0: he sings that he turned himself into a monster like I'm with it dude
1: yeah um, you you uh, made a beast out of yourself bro yeah I mean, like you can, exactly you can that's only... like a,
0: some Hunter Thompson like Nietzsche you know like it's, it's like a lot than
1: you might think yeah uh, no warning suffer survive <laughs> uh, you know like what I, I was a little young for that album but like everything Like I remember hearing it and telling everybody that I knew who liked hardcore, how sick I thought it was. And they looked at me like I had just shot myself in front of them because they were like, that album is the album that made me hate no warning and like disown them completely. Uh, And I was like, why? This is just a dope rock album.
0: I always, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm old enough to have bought as a teenager Celtic frost cold lake on street date. So I like Cold Lake. <laughs> it's gotten it's gotten more of a fair shake. Not to not to rhyme it. it with it's Cold not, Lake, but it's gotten more. You know, as the years have gone on, uh, and as you can see where it's it's in the catalog. I mean, I I unironically, unapologetically like Vanity Nemesis, which was sort of their like, yeah, you know, coming out of Cold Lake and sort of getting back to it vibe. Uh, you know, still far from like monotheist <laughs> re- yeah. era, but yeah cold lake again it's like well who knows what you might have thought of those riffs if you weren't like having to look at that band photo <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly that's that's an excellent yeah. point
0: <laughs> it does get intermingled for better or worse you know as much as the artwork for like you know as much as like a Derek riggs album cover makes an iron maiden record even better uh some of these controversial records
1: were were really hurt by the band photos <laughs> <laughs> or like um it, it's a recent example but uh that black flag album what the oh gosh um, that cover yeah everybody saw that cover and you know i feel like rightfully so dismissed it as presumably being bad but it's actually pretty solid well well
0: you know on the flip side i will say that jerry only's version of the misfits had really great album covers despite making really terrible albums
1: yeah (laughs) so sometimes sometimes you know you
0: sometimes you got a great artwork and a bad record it happens
1: all right uh metallica let's uh, let's think here Um, um i am going to put it's a boring answer but puppets is probably one um and then very yeah, it's like it's either going to be puppets or kill them all for me as number one um but it, it like depends on the mood it's the big thing like when I just want to inhale like 60 beers like it's kill them all but <laughs> when I want to sit down and experience an odyssey it's master of puppets like uh I don't know uh but I think just in terms of like the statement that they were making with it, just how lasting of a record it is, and how like uniquely Metallica it is through and through. Like it, it's gotta be Puppets as, as number one. I'm gonna put kill mall as two. I'm gonna go ride the lightning three, Justice four. Um and then after that, things get really murky. Uh <laughs> murky. We'll go, we'll go. <laughs> Uh, let's see i mean black album has tracks it's dope i mean i love sabbat true uh yeah that's that's gotta be five uh, sabbat uh,
0: true wolf and man through the never
1: yeah through never yeah. sick like uh that's that's a that's a great album uh so that's my top five and honestly like I will. I will do you the service of ranking the rest of these albums, but I'll tell you outright they could uh, be
0: they could be interchangeable.
1: <laughs> a lot of them could be pretty interchangeable. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Uh, so six, six. I'm gonna put hardwired. Um, um, I love hardwired because it's awesome, and it, it. I'll tell you, like when we were doing the discography run, and we got through load and then reload, I was like you know, and everything after that, I was like dying to hear anything like Hardwired. And like Death Magnetic has, has traces of what they were, they would eventually like refine on Hardwired, like really just truly getting back to their old sound without all of the, the trappings of, of late 90s Metallica. Um, but Hardwired is it. Like they, they really, I feel like recaptured so many great aspects of their, the Metallica essence on that record. So that's going to be 6.
0: Yeah, and I w- I would argue because the thing is I love Death Magnetic, but what I've realized over time is that I don't tend to go back to it. Yes. And I think what's so great about Hardwired is it took the you know, back to our roots or whatever you want to call it vibe of Death Magnetic and then brought back some of the things from the 90s that shouldn't have, you know, thrown the baby out with the bathwater, like some you know, the double track vocals and uh, yeah, th- there's just like stuff from Black Album Load and Reload that is kind of reintegrated into Hardwired mm. with the force and the energy and the old school vibe of, of saying Anger like to where I feel like it's just a really it might be the first Metallica record since given how diverse it is since Master of Puppets that's really like a big robust I'm not saying it's better than records out th- in between Puppets and Hardwired but it's probably the first record since puppets to be this robust uh like big picture journey like you said when you want to go on an epic journey of everything that the band is
1: yeah totally and it feels it feels we're like focused in a yeah. way that yeah. that band hadn't felt in a long time because i think even on on some of the metallica records that i never revisit like i, I never listened to load like i, I never listened to uh like saint anger but i think there are elements on those albums that, that i can justify and that i'll argue for because i think they're cool like i think they were going for very specific things in the in their approach to those albums that i thought was very cool and, and interesting for lack of a better word but it, there's still so much bloat and so much like meandering on them and and a real lack of like discipline in terms of re- refining their sound and 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 rejuvenating their focus. And hardwired, I think, is like the first time since Justice or maybe even Puppets that they that they sound like a band with a purpose again. You know, like they sound like a band that mm-hmm. actually like it is enjoying all aspects of being in Metallica. Yes. Uh,
0: yes. That's a great way to put it.
1: Uh so that's I forget where we are. I think hardwired six, right? um then after that i guess we'll go death magnetic um it's it's not really an album that i ever revisit like you said you know it's just it it, it, i gotta put it above some of the ones we got coming up just because it resembles the things that i love about metallica more than a lot of these other metallica records do (laughs) so i'll put it there for that reason and what do we got left? We got load and reload. We got saint you got, anger.
0: You got road, yeah, load, reload, and saint anger left. Which is probably um, which is probably ranked in the
1: order that you just said them. they are. Yeah. They are for me. Which yeah. one? So reload starts with fuel, right? Well,
0: load has the outlaw torn and bleeding me, which are two of my favorite True. Metallica songs of all time.
1: True. Uh, um, okay, and it also has. It ain't my bear child.
0: Yeah, which is per, one of my least favorite metallic songs <laughs> of all time. And opens the album, which I think was another cr- crucial mistake out of because my
1: way, out of my day.
0: it took it's me awesome. it, it took me months to get into that record because the first track was such a bummer for me. Um and, <laughs> it and, a and bummer, it remains too. a bummer. Whereas, yeah, I mean they probably should have opened that one with fuel, like yeah. Reload does, because Fuel's a pretty great song. I, the thing about fuel is that I'm never gonna throw it on uh, ironically enough even when i'm driving i don't want to listen to it but at the shows when it's played live i find i really dig it because it's a nice uh it just kind of you know it's a nice like changes the dynamics during the you never
1: want to you never want to you know? burn your face upon the chrome
0: <laughs> um but dude i like okay so i'm looking at the reload tracklist right now but like i said i'm i i'm a defender but i like fuel enough okay I love Nobody Memory Remains. Remains. I actually yep. love Unforgiven too. Yep. Uh, I like Fixer, which they just played live for the first time ever at the 40th anniversary shows. Um, the last song on that thats the one, the, the "No More Pins in Me" song. Oh um,
1: yeah, it's pretty okay.
0: badass. It's pretty badass. And uh, and so, then lo- looking at Load, I think Load has. Uh, so I like uh, I like until it sleeps. I like King Nothing. Um, like I said, Outlaw Torn. Outlaw Torn's a top ten Metallica song for me. Uh, it's not it's a surprise to people that listen to the podcast. I say it a lot. Um, I love Bleeding Me. I, I, it's it's hard. The, the thing about Load and Reload for me is that I think Reload might even have more songs that I like, but the songs that I like on Load, I like so much that it gives mm. that album the advantage. And it really is one album. I mean, it was conceived that way, um, right? But uh, but yeah, I go. I, I definitely put uh load and reload Relo- and reload over saint anger and personally i put load and reload over death magnetic which isn't a slight on death magnetic saint anger is the only metallic
1: album that i just don't really like sure yeah i i gotta put respect on that man that's a that's that's a bold opinion to have and i think that's very cool um let's see i mean honestly like I, it's, I haven't listened to Load or Reload since we did that discography run so I, I uh, they're not particularly fresh in my mind whereas like an album like Puppets or Kill 'Em All or Ride the Light Day I feel like I listen to like once a month um, so what I remember is I remember listening to Load and at the end of that album I was like holy shit like that took forever like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah it's, like... it's 14 so
0: I mean well let's put it this way they had to cut the second solo in outlaw torn because
1: <laughs> it, 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 it went over
0: the 14 songs. Of the album went over the amount of space allotted on a compact disc.
1: Yeah. That's kind of the Metallica problem, isn't it? They, they have a really hard time ending songs
0: or, or just editing, you know, or editing
1: yeah. at, at all yeah.
0: period. I mean, so San, I mean, like- Sand Anger is the ultimate example of like, cool. If that, if you would have brought that to someone as your pre-production demo and said, we're ready to make our album. <laughs> We could, this been, we could have ended minutes. up with something great
1: yeah uh but then i remember with reload that one maybe i'm misremembering this completely but i remember that one feeling marginally breezier to get through um there there were still some moments where i was like damn like this song did not need to be 8 minutes long but uh well, i i,
0: I I'm, I'm looking i'm looking right now is reload longer load it no but load is 78 minutes and 58 seconds
1: that's like so that is a 79
0: minute that is a that's a movie that's a romantic comedy (laughs) and and then uh yeah reload is 76 minutes so it's about four minutes shorter so So, so, which makes sense because it's one song shorter
1: those four minutes i feel like are going to place reload above load for me because mm-hmm. just in terms of how I remember listening, to these <laughs> because
0: albums, it's less to and less to endure, <laughs> it's less to endure.
1: <laughs> Brutal. Um, I, you know, this this conversation is inspiring me to to go back and re-listen to both of these albums. So I think I'm going to do that. Uh, soon I as we will. Get us. I will send
0: you my uh, Spotify playlist that I made. Please, that is that is you know people like to do it with User Illusion one and two. I, I made a a playlist that's all the best songs from Load and Reload, in my opinion, which I include. Um, no leaf clover on that list. Oh, which word. Okay. No leaf clover and minus human were both from the re- reload load sessions, and you know we got the uh, the symphony versions. I actually have. I'm hoping when they do the box sets for load and reload, maybe we'll get these. But I actually have a studio version of minus human that doesn't have the symphony on it. Oh. Um, but I've never. But I'm sure there's one that exists for no leaf clover. I'd love to hear that also but uh yeah i dig those two songs
1: and then saint anger is dead last um yeah. i you know so i appreciate
0: uh, that it exists i'm glad it helped save the band i yes. don't ever need to hear it again
1: <laughs> i i don't i don't think like i'm not going to be one of these guys who just sits here and shits on saint anger i feel like everything negative about the album that has needed to be said has been said i i think that agree that that album's place in in history and, and Metallica's history is like well established at this point uh, I'll I'll add my my two cents on everything which is not like me deriding the album which is my personal experience with it but sure. um, the uh, the there was a guy who used to play in, in the band Sangu Circle Bogg's name was Cam um, and he he left the band for various reasons uh, sometime early last year I want to say but he was the, uh, was, he's very much still alive. He is the uh, <laughs> biggest, he's not dead. I'm not going to memorialize this dude, but uh, he is the biggest St. Anger defanger, Defender I've ever met. Uh, he loves that album. He will argue until he's blue in the face that it's like one of the best Metallic albums. It's one of his favorite albums, period. Um, and he is just like a true obsessive for that record. And he, it, when I met him, I thought he was joking for the longest time because I had never until that point in my life met a single person who not only defended that album, but like vehemently defended it because to me growing up and getting into Metallica, St. Anger was just a, it was a non-starter. So like, he didn't even talk about it. Like this was uh, like you said, the thing they had to do to get their careers and their band and their personal lives back on track and get the band back together but as a, a piece of recorded music, it's dog shit. So we just don't talk about it. Um, but Cam would talk to you about this album so passionately and with such admiration for, for what it was as a piece of music that he inspired me so many times to go back and re-listen to it. And I still just can't stand it. <laughs> I, like, it's never clicked for me the way that it has for him um i i tried it again on the the run that we did on that tour i approached it with like the most open mind i've I've ever approached that album with and i just i don't think there's there's i think there's hardly any redeeming aspects of it honestly i think the songs are the worst they've ever written i think the the whole thing just sounds so bloated and so uninspired um it's just like it's not great, and I know I started this by saying I wasn't going to share on it, so I'm going to stop. But uh, it's, yeah, it's just you know, it's it is what it is. That's that's how all yeah, that's I'll nicely I mean, it, it, all nicely wrapped. It's the you know,
0: it's part of the it's part of the legacy. It's part of the it, it's it's you know, uh, often discussed, which I think for any piece of art, even Lulu, is important. Right. You know, something that's provocative that that inspires a lot of conversation as more than most bands are ever able to accomplish i love that there are people out there where it's their record uh you know that's interesting and cool and you know what's funny is looking at the track list it's 11 songs so it's significantly shorter than load or reload it still clocks in at 75 minutes yeah and it (laughs) yeah it does it absolutely feels twice as long as either of those
1: records. It does. <laughs> it, it, it feels like it feels like it goes on forever. Sometimes when you're listening to it, it feels like you're being punished for something. Yes. Like uh, like you're you're listening to uh, like you know in that, that episode of The Simpsons where they take you to the uh, ironic punishments division, and yes, uh, yes. like Homer's like uh, being force fed <laughs> donuts. Yes. And the little demon's like, oh, you like donuts? Do you have all the donuts in the world? It feels like that, but it's like. You yeah. die and you go to hell and some demon is like, oh, you like Metallica? <laughs> band? Here's Saint Anger.
0: Here's Here's Invisible Kid, all eight and a half
1: minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I guess, theoretically, this is a Metallica album, but that's about where it stops.
0: Yeah. And, and dude, in and so many, I mean, speaking of editing, I mean, look, there's songs on Justice. Like there's a lot of bloated Metallica songs where I, I'm like, bring on the bloat, including... Lone, I mean that song Fixer is super long Outlaw Torn is super long and I love those songs and I think those songs justify their length with the different sort of trips that they take you on I mean even the song Master of Puppets takes you that's like the yeah. definitive metallic song and yet having said that songs like saying Anger and Visible Kid and uh, Unnamed Feeling and like while they have I mean, the song "Some Kind of Monster" is eight and a half minutes. Um, yeah, it's you ridiculous. Know, some of those songs have interesting things happening in there, but the the bloat. And you know, maybe it's because we know too much about how the sausage was made. But just understanding that that, that they weren't even playing these songs together all the way through in a room, or even as demos, that it was mm-hmm. it, it wasn't even just James and Lars playing one of these songs together. That it's that it's so just like patchwork. Frankenstein together on a computer that it's just the the arrangement. I mean, you know, for a band that, for Lars in particular, who's so brilliant and accomplished at arrangements, you Mm -hmm. know, and and hardwired. I, I feel like that's another issue with Death Magnetic where probably where I don't revisit it enough is that, or as much I should say, is that it suffers from some of the arrangement issues that st anger has while having better more focused songs that sound more like what we want from metallica and Agreed. i think and i think hardwired is where the arrangements came back together it's got like the black album brain in terms of how perfect the arrangements are but Agreed. Uh, you know with some more kind of aggressive stuff so
1: yeah and, and on that same note you know uh one thing that i will say is like a silver lining for Uh, saint anger is that it gave us the some kind of monster documentary
0: exactly which which is which is a masterpiece of film (laughs) and it is it is the definitive rock doc for sure it
1: is and unironically it's one of the best movies i've ever seen
0: agreed 100
1: Um, and you know like the the narrative about that, that documentary that always like just disgusts me is when people who have never created a piece of music before people who have never been involved in any kind of like unified creative pursuit with other human mm-hmm. beings before mm-hmm. they shit on it and they say oh look at these fucking entitled cry babies you know these millionaires they can't even figure out how to write an album and it's like if you talk to anybody that has ever been in a band before for however long they are so cognizant of the exact same issues that metallica yep. was going through yep and they've and everyone any any, any
0: level any genre any uh, any type of creative pursuit because something that I I find fascinating and I've talked about this on the show before but I uh, read a a book that Joe Berlinger one of the co-directors wrote about the making of the movie Mm -hmm. and both of the directors you know Berlinger and and, uh, the late Bruce Sanofsky rest in peace they were going through their own issues and their creative partnership during that same process at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I got to have uh, Phil Toll on the podcast and, and we spoke about that a little bit, too. But there, there are so many universal truths to the things that we see so brilliantly explored and captured by that film. Also, when you think about in terms of editing and arrangement, when you think about how many hours of film they had to pare down into that narrative and, you know, and just storytelling wise. And
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: I mean, yeah, it's, it's a it's a work of art in and of itself it, and and yeah and to your exact point you don't have to be in the nfl to understand what it's like to play on a sp- sports team exactly you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, and it's it's it kind of like it really tells me a lot about a person very fast when their yeah. main takeaway from some kind of monster is like you know these guys are idiots because i i think yeah, there's so many moments in that movie that are hilarious. Like like objectively funny. Like,
0: well, like humans beings. You know? Yeah, yeah. Like
1: like humans. Like Lara screaming fuck in James's face is like objectively one of the top ten funniest things that's ever been filmed. But at the same time, it's like the the fact that Metallica was willing to put themselves in a the position where they because like think about it like this, you know, when you hear about in, in the pre-some kind of monster world. I guess we'll call it when you hear about bands going through strife and interpersonal issues and stuff like that, it's so like grotesquely romanticized It's like oh uh, we were having all these issues so we had to do a bunch of cocaine about it or we had to mm. uh, you know rent a, a resort or a villa in the south of France so we could uh yeah. have these have these, a spiritual advisor come and we had to go to India and blah blah. blah and, Metallica they just they they dispelled with all of that they aired all of their dirty laundry in a way that had never been done before as far as I'm aware they really let people in on such a vulnerable and like naked and uncomfortable truth about just being involved in any kind of creative process which is that it's not always romantic it's not always beautiful it's not always easy sometimes you have like really messy and, and gross and uncomfortable conversations with like a therapist, because this dude who's been your friend, you know, and, and lifelong collaborator since you were 18 years old, like you're just, you're inseparable from him at that point. So like, what options do you have besides like seeking couples counseling? Like, it's just, they were so real about it in, in a way that they 1000% did not have to be, but the fact that they we're willing to take that risk is is so fucking cool and that that will always be my main takeaway from the documentary documentaries that it just it gave me such a newfound respect and admiration for that band even if i don't always you know agree with the creative choices that they make
0: amen well well said and uh, a perfect spot to wrap alexander i appreciate you taking your time today man this was super fun thanks for having me man